Truly engage with the future with futurist and innovation strategist Adam Yorlin. Adam is also the leader of the Ankle Collective, which provides events and workshops for people who want to engage at a deeper level with the future and how it can change Western Australia. Adam tells of how he became a futurist, how it is more of a calling than a career choice, and provides insight into the actual work and the typical clients he works with. Adam eloquently provides some simple models relating to human learning that provides a greater context for the deeper understanding of how we deal with change and therefore the future. He also talks about the barriers and frustrations that he sees individuals have in interacting and engaging with the future. What becomes clear from this conversation is the cyclical non-linear journey of growth and learning that underpins the human journey and how that growth will accelerate faster when we become more accepting of this truth and act in line with it. Adam is a wonderfully deep thinking man who is content to sow the seeds of change that may well only truly blossom after his own time has passed, which is the highest level of service. So enjoy, Adam. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. The future and innovation strategy are just some of the areas we'll be exploring today with my guest, Adam Jordan. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you. So... You're not originally from Western Australia, Sweden. How did you end up here? <laughs> Good question. I, I think I was actually thinking about that yesterday. I think there's most people who come, like me from Europe, end up here for, for two reasons. Either, either they work in the sort of resource sector, oil, mining, gas, or they come for love. <laughs> like, it's so true. Because yeah, like I ask, I ask this question yeah. at the start of all of my podcasts, yeah. and more more often than not, there's a boy or there's a girl yeah. that's been involved. Yeah. And you are which one of the two? Uh, I met a girl in London, right? Ten or oh, fifteen years ago now. Yeah, and um, we moved down here eventually, which many people do, I think. Where is she from? Here. She's from here. Yeah, she's from yeah. Perth. Yeah. yeah. So we we were in Melbourne first for six years because sort of the step from. London to Perth is quite long, so you know Melbourne is a good uh, first step. I think. Oh, what in terms of activity in terms of, and things? Yeah, going in terms on. of like Perth was so different for me. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, yeah. So we were, we was we we came down here in two two thousand and six. Did like a sort of research trip. Went to Sydney, Perth, and Melbourne, and I I liked Melbourne the most because it was probably you know it's most similar to London. Mm. So, yeah, and then we had kids, and then you know. You want to be close to family, so we ended up here in yeah. 2014. So I've been here for five years now. It seems to be children and family are again one of those key things. Oh, absolutely, that pulls people to Western Australia. Yeah. yeah. So when you were growing up in Sweden, what did you know about Western Australia? I was in, I was interested in sailing, so I was a sailing instructor. All so right. I knew Fremantle very well from you know was part of that wit bread around the world race and. You know, the, the sort of, it was always, I read books about that and they always said Frio is so great because it's a party and it's like, it's relaxing, you know, you just hang out. Um, you know, it's a big sailing place. So, so I was always interested in Frio. I didn't know much about Perth or anything. Yeah. So it's Frio, Frio, yeah. And I sort of, you know, I had that, you know, I always wanted to come and see what it's like because of that reason. Then I wasn't, you know... I sort of left that interest behind sailing. So, but you know, it's still now when I walk around here, I sort of say, "Oh yeah, I remember that from my youth." You know, the, the boats <laughs> and the, the the America's Cup and all that. So, yeah, yeah. And so, is there 
WA your home now? Um, yeah, one of the homes, you know. One of the homes. Yeah. And I like that Steinbeck quote, I think. I think it was him who said, I have many homes, many of them I don't know, or something like that, you know. So I think I feel that as well. Uh, I'm going to Sicily next week. I've been there once before. I feel that might be one of my future homes. Oh, yeah. That'd be nice. So, as I said in the introduction, you have a strong focus on the future and innovation. Where does that come from in Adam's journey? Is that something that was role modeled when you were younger? Or is it something that just sort of switched on for you personally in time? I think it's switched on more because, you know, most people in my field working with the future they were very into science fiction when they were kids mm. that's sort of one of the sort of general themes if you look at futurist or you know but i was never into uh, science fiction i was re really into stories and fiction but um, never in, into the future back then what i was interested in so why i got into futures is more that i'm very curious about yeah. everything uh, and one of the disciplines where you can study everything is futures. Yeah. So that's why I got into it. You know, in high school you study everything, philosophy and yeah. you know, maths and you know, biology, everything. And I love that. And the further you go, the more specialist you have yeah, to. Yeah, you have to, but I didn't want to. So you're yeah. doing like, I don't want to specialize. Yeah, that's what keep studying. So I did, I did a mix between engineering and uh, you know, business. So that was at least two various fields. So industrial engineering, it's called. Yeah. It's a lot of business management. But I didn't like that, so I was going a lot. I was my what I did most of that time was going to the cinema and watching like old films and yeah. going through the film history. And then I did, you know, I was always in, so broad in my thinking. And then I found this field, which is a transdisciplinary or multidisciplinary field called uh, future studies or strategic foresight. Right. And then I was well, like, yes, that's great. That's I can me. write, you know, I can write about anything and pull from any resource, like they, we, we often say, or my old um, supervisor said, from, from the Big Bang to Bitcoin or whatever. Big <laughs> to Bitcoin. <laughs> or yeah, or another B, whatever yeah. it was. You know, so everything, no matter what you know, tradition, it can be spirituality or you know, pure science or psychology, education, everything you can, you can use in future studies. So, yeah. Sounds like the back catalogue of WA Real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so where did you first find out about it? Uh, I was in Melbourne. I moved. So I, I, um, what were you doing before? I was, so when I finished my engineering studies in, uh, when was it, 98, I didn't want to be an engineer, probably because of this reason that I don't want to specialize in anything. I wasn't particularly interested in engineering. So I, um, but I finished the degree, didn't know what to do, was interested in a lot of things. So one of the things I was interested in was snowboarding. <laughs> <laughs> so me and my friend, we were like, how can we, we didn't want to be engineers. Yeah. We wanted to snowboard. So we were like, how can we make a living from that? We weren't that good. We couldn't be pro snowboarders. So we thought like, why don't we start a business in the Alps. So we went a lot to the French Alps. We looked at other people. They started the bar. They started something, you know. Yeah. But we thought, why don't we start a language school? 
because we'd been to language schools in France ourselves, because uh, there's a government support for Swedish people who want to study abroad. Mm. So we'd both done this. So like, why don't we start a language school in a French um, ski resort? Because there's no, there's nothing there, and all <laughs> Swedish people they want to study French and ski. Yeah. But most on offer was like you know Paris or the big yeah. cities. So we started to look into that. We didn't think it was going to work because um, we were like, there must be some sort of some sort of stuff that prevents that from happening. Because otherwise, someone would have done it ages ago. Because mm. it's such a no-brainer. Yeah. Get, get it's often them. exactly that thought. Yeah, and we were like, <laughs> we better keep quiet about this. Yeah. Otherwise, someone else is going to do it like that. Uh, I think that's an. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur as well. That's sort of my second. You know, big like futurist mm. and entrepreneur. I always uh, call myself entrepreneurial futurist or futurist like mm. futuristic entrepreneur or something like that. But um, I think that's an entrepreneurial thing. Like you, it's scared that someone's going to steal your idea. Mm. But and then you realize how hard it is and why people haven't done it after yes. a couple of years. But we actually managed to do that. So we set up a French language school in a place called Chamonix in the French Alps. Yep. Yeah, uh, which we ran for. Yeah, you know, seven, eight years or something. Wow. And then um, I met Jen, my partner, and, and we moved on. So that was my background, really. Yeah. And then, but then I sold that business, or we sold that business, moved down here on the other side of the planet from my friends, family, everything. Had sold yeah. my business, didn't have anything. So it was like a blank slate. Mm. Uh, so I started to, you know, read again or go back to. So I hadn't done any theoretical, I hadn't re read any non-fiction or anything for years. I'd just been snowboarding and working on this business mm. and going to gigs living and films and living the life. I was living both in France, I was working at the school, but also living in London at the same time. So, uh, yeah, really good life, you know, dream yeah. life, yeah. dream yeah. life, but not a, quite a shallow life. So when I left that life, I was like, oh, you know, naturally uh, sought more deep. It gets, to a, it gets to a point where all the fun just goes away one day, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I had three or four years of be working summer and springtime in motorsports event management. Yeah. Fast cars, attractive ladies doing yeah. promotions. And then in the winter, I traveled to South America. I lived in um, Maribel in the yeah. Alps yeah. for quite some time. And it was great. And then all of a sudden... It's not so fun anymore. No, no, I, I, <laughs> I couldn't totally. put my finger on it at the time. No, no, because you you sort of reached that, you reached your goal. I guess I had that goal, like to have yeah. that sort of life. You know, I had apartments in, or you know, had an apartment in London, one in France, and dream life. And all my friends were like, "Oh, fantastic!" But then you reach, and I think that's also me. Mm. I never can. I have, I struggle to settle down. I'm, you know, that curiosity, always mm. want to do something new and you get bored. I always get bored, which is not good in many ways. <laughs> um, when you're alive. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so how did you find out about future studies then? As in yeah. Mouth? So then I, moved, I came down. So that, you know, all my reading, I was really interested in psychology and philosophy and those things because I had never studied that before. So I was sort of like, wow, this is cool. Um, and... Um, then eventually I found through that, I don't really know why. I, yeah, I went to a lecture by a guy called Richard Hames, who's an amazing futurist. I was like, this, I have to look into this. 
what mm. what what is that? Because it's not you know it's a it's a, been a fail for like since the sixties, like an academic yeah. field. It's one of the questions I was going to ask. Yeah. How long is the yeah? I mean, future future study sort of starts with um, science fiction about a hundred years ago. H. G. Wells yeah. and those early science fiction writers are like there's been science fiction for a long time but mm. you know they started to come up with these concepts about the future think deeper about the future but mm. then around the 50s 60s uh, people um, sort of became a discipline mm. with you know people wrote papers and books more more seriously it's sort of you can I mean it's quite similar to philosophy but it's it's in, an, in other ways it's not because mm. you can draw from so many disciplines. Um, yeah, so I just discovered this in Melbourne. There's uh, a, um, and weirdly enough, one of the best schools for futures or institutions for future studies is in in Melbourne. So it's sort of this like serendipity. Now in hindsight, oh, yeah. it's like, wow, ah, that's maybe well, where we ended up. to that point? Ah, yeah, it's like so obvious. Uh, and then I signed up for that worked part-time at the Red Cross at the time and did those studies for, you know, a couple of three mm. years of masters in, in future studies. Yeah. Mm. So what does a futurist actually do? Yeah. That, so that's this. <laughs> how, do you, how do you marry that up to put in bread on the table? For yeah. The kids? That's, that's really hard actually. <laughs> I mean, that's also futurist is nothing you choose. Yeah. Because you want to make money or get a job. It's yeah. just a passion. I think it's something that you sort of... It seems like most futurists I know, they just become futurists, even if they don't want to. Yeah. And we struggle a lot in the community to um, define what it is and sell ourselves and package it. And some, mm. There are only a few, basically, who are successful and, and like real futurists that have studied futures. There are a lot of futurists that call themselves futurists. They go yeah. out and do presentations. This is what the future is going to be like. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. But if you study futures, one of the first things you learn is that you don't say what it's going to be like. Mm. You more ask questions to your clients and your audience what they think it's going to be like. Yes. Because no one knows the future. That's one of the first things you learn. Mm. If someone says, this is what it's going to be like, I'm like, oh, that's not a real futurist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the options. <laughs> that's exactly. So we work with se uh, several futures. We work with um, first like possible futures. What are the possible futures? Mm. Then we work with um, probable futures. So what's probably going to happen? So like probably we're going to have more self-driving cars. Yeah. But we don't know. Maybe not. Uh, and the first one is our preferred futures. Yes. So what do I or what do our organization want to see mm. that's basically leading into strategy then so you mm. start with possible really broad and then probable and then preferred yes focus on one that you want to want to happen how do you bring in the unknown into that um because there's always things that we can't see. yeah outside of that spectrum you obviously have yeah. a lot of other futures and often they happen that we can't even imagine. So in our mind, they're sort of, you know, the blind spots we have. Yeah. There are so many other futures that yeah. we don't even see as possible today. Yeah. So that's where science fiction people, they're probably the best people uh, operating in that area. They are imagining more than normal people can do. Yes. On that sort of limit of what is possible. 
and they say like one of the things we say in future studies also is or uh, is that um, the the most valuable futures in our work is preposterous futures yes stuff that you think this can possibly not happen because they often happen <laughs> yes yeah so yes it's all about the, it's 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 a science but it's also an art yes future study so it, the see. art part is imagination fiction stories so scenarios yeah. is one of the most common tools we use so scenarios are stories of the futures yeah so I, when i do scenario work people think but this is what we're gonna work against in a scenario no a scenario is just a story mm. that we use we can we can we can work towards it but we can also work away from it if it's a negative scenario yes so often build so i often build three four scenarios for clients some of them are sort of you know well, might be good. And yeah and then you sort of look back from that if this story of this future is going to happen what have we done what are the steps yeah to reach that and if this happens what have we um what 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 do we have to to stay away from or steer clear of for this not to happen mm. so yeah so that's so who who are your sort of typical sort of client and what sort of work do you do with now here now here in perth i work with um local and state government most right schools yeah so no no corporate because most corporates here mm. they have their own uh, like the big big mining companies they have their own in-house futurists yes doing scenarios for them mm. Um, so corporates more taking this on now. Yeah, they've always done. I think Rio Tinto and BHP and those guys. They've had. You know, Shell is one of the biggest. Um, like many of them, the top futurists that we mm. re- that I've read from this, you know, seventies and onwards, they worked for Shell. So Shell's scenario department is one of the sort of most successful futures uh, in practice that have mm. worked. Yes. So you, they sort of predicted the oil crisis in the 70s and things that no one else did. Yes. Uh, or they were prepared for it because they had that was one of the scenarios. Yeah. So when that happened, they knew what what to do. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So but here uh, so here <coughs> government it's interesting government here is they're quite interested in futures. So you know, I state yeah, states have done work for state government and even local councils, some councillors and some mayors. CEOs are interested in it, mm. some not. So, I mean, here mm. in Freya, they're very progressive and interested in the future, for example. So, yes, yeah. I'll ask you a bit more about who is interested and who isn't, and yeah. other things about that. So, yeah. so when when a when a client engages you, what is the sort of typical work that you would? So, do? for me, I'm also I call myself an innovation strategist, mm. which is. Uh, easier to sell than yes than saying i'm a futurist people are like what is a futurist but yeah. if i say innovation innovation is very popular now yeah in uh, it almost know. feels a little bit more tangible yeah and it's, it's all, almost like a bit too much now i think but you know yeah um like sustainability was 10 years ago everyone was a sustainability consultant maybe not oh, here but, you know, dog, yeah. yeah and now it's sort of innovation uh so i i've sold myself as an innovation strategist slash a strategic foresight practitioner. So um, I sort of get, get in through that. So, you know, I can work as, um, you know, we want to, we, the minister has said we have to innovate, <laughs> for example. Yes. That's actually happened uh, in some uh, government I've worked with. And um, 
Yeah, so then I have to bring it in through that. And then, yeah, we're going to do an exercise where we're going to look at scenarios because that will feed into our innovation strategy. Mm. And so then I actually, I don't say that it's a futures tool, but, but it is. So, it is. Yeah. So you, you would sort of draw up two, three, four, five, six scenarios and then yeah. what the sort of leadership of the organization would step through, how they would react, respond and yeah. either mitigate risks or seize the opportunities within the scenario yeah unfortunately often it's not the leadership in government working with this it's more teams like on the yeah. outside of the organization like in the innovation team or the you know yeah that we work with which is not not a bad idea because in one way it is because if the mm. ceo when i work with a ceo it's easier to get stuff happening yes if you work with a small team or are interested in the future, they're more passionate often, mm. but it takes longer. It's a different way to embed it in an organization, more like a stealth approach. Yes. As we talk about. So, yeah. How, so this is, this was a question I alluded to earlier. How do you go about and what do you observe when you talk and interact with people and they're, sort of grasp or their desire to want to grasp different opportunities and potentials with the future. So I have a 15 year experience of being a management consultant and there were at least three pieces of work that I could think of where they were so far out of the horizon of everybody in the organization. Most of the time people were asking me, you doing mm. you know one of them was it two of them were here in chevron in, in perth and because everybody was so focused on completing gorgon mm. my work was <clears throat> for the organization that was going to run gorgon when it happened one was mapping out the entirety of the process mapping the entirety of the gorgon mm. operation space i mean the the end product was bigger than this whiteboard yeah um, but it made total sense. And then the other part was operationalizing that into an integrated planning facility. Now, both of those, I could, I could see the absolute crystal clarity importance of those two pieces of work mm. and the third piece that was from an earlier part of my career. But trying, people could sort of open the window slightly mm. as they were humoring me to engage what was happening. But that window would close really quickly and it was mm. back to the day job, back to the yeah. comfort of what they're doing, back to the familiarity. Mm. It was like all that, oh, I don't know, I, I sort of get what Brent's doing, but I don't really see the whole point of it. Occasionally I'd bump into enlightened little souls who would mm. go, whoa, this is great. But um, often they didn't hold the bigger positions that could in effect change. Mm. Yeah. So one of the things I really was curious about talking to you about today is is just how do you go about I don't want to use the word getting but I'm going to use it getting people to interact with the future mm. without them suddenly seeing something different getting a case of anxiety and then running back to the comfort of what they know mm. Yeah that's the problem and I think that's why many of these organisations will struggle to survive. I mean, if you see the successful organizations today, it's, you know, the Silicon Valley. Mm. They're, you know, the people there, 
they are big picture thinkers. Mm. Like they are almost like, you know, they are science fiction writers, almost mm. like Google and all of them, Steve Jobs and all the people who start. They were futurists, basically, and they hire similar minded people. So I think, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be hard because <clears throat> organizations that don't, that don't have that pull, that will pull in that sort of people, they will struggle. Mm. Yeah. So I've, you know, sometimes I despair. It's like this is, like you say, this is not going to happen. They're not going to. Yeah. They're just going to. I do a couple of workshops for them. They love it. They open their mind. So we often talk about systems thinking. What you're mm. talking about, you're looking at systems rather than parts of the system. Yes. Which most people are focused on. The day-to-day job Instead is a small cogs, part. It's looking at yeah. the whole car. Yeah. So you have to. I mean, for me, I naturally think in systems. I'm mm. big. I struggle with the details, actually. Yeah. And most people are the opposite. Yes. They f- tend to focus on the on the detail. So, yeah, where was I? <laughs> how do you get... Yeah, so how do you get them to... So, so, I mean, all my tools I use are basically for that. So you're bringing them in, I take them up a level. Yes. You know, to see... Chunk the up. ecosystem, or this, you know, I can do a stakeholder mapping, or I can do maps on whiteboards. It's excellent, so they can see. Mm. And let them map themselves. Yeah. So how are you related to this guy over there, and how are you guys related to these guys in China, or blah blah blah? Mm. Instead, of, yeah. So you, there are a lot of tools I use for that. Mm. But when I come back later, I see, ah, oh, you know, they're doing the same thing because there are not structures. There's no time, there's no space for them to continue that when I'm gone or we are gone, you know, mm. our team. So that's the sad thing. So then I think, damn, you know, they're not going to... Yeah. It's, it's not going to work. Yeah, we're open and then... Clunk. So, yeah, so when I'm in those organizations, especially government, because government is set up for this not to happen. I mean, you, you know, you have a little role. Most organizations, hierarchical organizations are for... They are to p- put people in boxes. They are to sort of, you know, there's no room mm. for people. They don't want creativity or big picture yeah. thinking. Even if they say, you now these days they say, we need innovation, we need creativity. But then you have to rearrange your whole structure often. So like Google and those companies, they've had that built in because they started like, what, 15 years ago. Yes. They didn't, they never built a hierarchical organization in the same sense. So, you know, they have one of their first early cool programs was the 20% time. I don't know if you heard about that. It's no. Engineers, they could spend 20% of their time on their own projects. Yes. So on, you know, on every Friday or whatever, you work on your own little thing. So many of the, pro- the services or products that we see today, like Gmail and that stuff, came from their own things 20%. they work with. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of like, that's a completely different way of doing things, right? Yeah. So you, don't, you don't say, hey, you're going to do this project now from top down. Just like, hey, do whatever you want on Friday. And then um, yeah. we'll see. We'll see it's yeah. and, and they didn't even control it. They said, like, no, it's going to cost more to control them yeah. than you know, just let them do whatever they want. And they, yeah, heaps of things came out of that. So it's, yeah. And there's a new, <clears throat> newish, I mean, it's been around for a while, but now there's a name for it called Teal Organizations, hmm. which is a new management theory where you sort of distribute leadership more and let people do um, things they want to do and yeah, mm. which has its challenges. So the, 
organization I work for, we haven't mm. spoken about that, Enco. I was going to ask you in a minute. Yeah, we, um, we've always uh, had that, uh, con- like we've always said from scratch, we're going to be a distributed organization with no leaders, which is tough. <laughs> yes. Because again, people, we come from school, we from work, everything, there is always a leader. Mm. This, and, yeah. and this is, the more I started to think about this coming into the interview, into this conversation, the more I was like, far out. This is this is quite a challenge because a you're getting you're getting human beings to try and to interact with the future, mm. and human beings that are working within a, a big machine of an organisation which doesn't necessarily always want, particularly when you're talking about government, doesn't mm. want creativity. Just wants to repetitively churn out and do the same thing. And you know treats his clients us the same way. So you've got this enormous structure mm. that provides predictability. Yeah. And then that provides the people who work in it predictability, and with the predictability comes the paycheck and the safety and the comfort. Mm. It's like there you go. Um. But then there's a certain and then it instills a certain amount of human behaviour there. Mm. You know the cog, the neuro oh, yeah. pathways are all well beaten yeah. in, and you're just firing, 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 mm. firing. Um, and then it gets to the place where, and I, I've had this in a in a place that I worked not quite recently, where I had to point out to the leader of the organisation, the CEO, it's like, well, can't they just work this out for themselves? And I sort of said, well, no, you have to look at your recruitment policy because you have in effect recruited a bunch of Indians and so you've got to be the chief mm. otherwise the Indians are going to sit around going what shall I do that's it yeah, yeah. And, and so right even at your recruitment policy end who are you bringing in and what are you encouraging mm. and you know t- to me it's almost like because I sit and talk to you know all sorts of people through the podcast and you know I sit and listen to all different types of human journeys and human experiences and they all many of many of the people that come here come to this sort of awakening that like I did holy crap I, I, the scripts that have been handed to me mm. don't necessarily work mm. <laughs> like, yeah. or it doesn't map out like they said mm. holy shit like I've got to go and do this for myself mm. and that can be confronting and some people go oh shit don't like that I'm going to go back and some go, no, persevere, I'm going to go forward. Mm. So you're almost interacting with like the entire human experience in mm. your work at the same time. Mm. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, it's more about like, yeah, whenever we do things um, in our work, workshops it always comes down to that in the end like humans mm. we often look at uh, metaphor i work a lot with metaphor as well for organizations mm. and we often come down if we look deeper to sort of how, what is it to be human because especially now with technology there's so much talk about robots and artificial intelligence and people are scared about that and we have to differentiate like what is it that makes us human that they can't do mm. uh, in work and you know, it's like man versus robot, and those metaphors come come up. So it is, yeah. I, you know, it, it, and I think also that stuff happens so quickly. You know, with exponential technology, it goes so yeah. f- faster and faster and faster. 
So it's an organization that's, like you say, a hierarchical structure. It's working less and less yeah. well. So, um, and people are getting, you know, it's more about the human and your interest, your creativity. We yeah. know, we know that. We have to capture that. So it is, uh, it's getting more like organizational development and management stuff goes way more into to people and humans and, you know, yeah. their own, what do you want to do? You know, what, what, what are you good at? What's your purpose in life? Yeah. And that's then, scary then, shit for some people. Yeah. I've never had to think about it. Because no, it's exactly. just been going to work and executing. Yeah. So stuff. that's another thing. Back to your question about how to open up people for that sort of thinking. You've got to reach them on, on that. Sort of like, what are you really, what's your passion? What do you really like to do? But that's hard because they just, you know, if you go to a workshop mm. at work, like a personal, professional development workshop or something, you expect to, you know, do it, learn Excel or a new, yeah. you know, system or something. Functional, tangible Yeah, it's not scale. about finding your purpose. And, no. But that's, I think that's, you know, organizations that do that, you know, they, they will thrive. Mm. They can capture the whole human, the whole employee, yeah. rather than just, you know, a small part of them. Yeah. A small part that they themselves might yeah. be keeping away. Yeah. I've always like thought, you know, if people want to go to work on Monday morning, then you've succeeded, you know what I mean, for you yeah. as, a, as a boss. And that's yeah. bloody hard today. Actually turn up. Yeah, you want to like... 100% turn yeah, up. Yeah, and, and like not be like, oh, fit, you know, I don't want to go... just be present. Yeah, like you do in, in, in the weekend. You go because you go because you want to do it. But yeah. you often go to work because you don't want to do it. And that's probably quite a new thing for... Hmm. I mean, not for slaves and stuff, but in you know before we organized... I mean, people probably didn't... You know, they wanted to do stuff on a Monday morning. They wanted to... Hmm. you know harvest or you know yeah. whatever they did back then or go hunting or something in hmm. in, in the village era hmm. well it was it was it was a lot clearer wasn't it as well in terms of with whether you did or you didn't if you didn't your staff yeah you had, more, you had skin in the game as well. you had skin in the game <laughs> so you were committed yeah here it's like if I don't turn up if I'm sick nothing's gonna happen you know yeah exactly <laughs> exactly and then even at the worst end of it all is this government infrastructure that will catch me at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If yeah, I fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is good. But I mean, it is also, you know, it's also bad things with with safety nets like that. Mm. I mean, as an... Uh, it's risky. I'm, yeah. Entrepreneurs are risk takers, I guess. they. If you see the crazy entrepreneurs, they sort of mortgage the whole like Elon Musk and those guys you know, mm. mortgage everything they have because they believe in the idea and uh, yeah so they 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 go back to that like they they thrive when they have skin in the game yes yeah yeah. they will probably ha they probably have to have skin in the game to be able to work even to do a proper job it's probably yeah an amazing piece of self-management yeah like the, the story of was it the the ancient chief that turned up on the island or, and, and burnt the boats and yeah. <laughs> showed the soldiers and like, the only way we're getting off the island is if we win and beat them and kill them and yeah. take their boats because we don't have boats anymore. No, that's right. <laughs> you know, or we're in the sea being slayed. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. tell me about Enkel. Yeah, so <clears throat> when I moved down here in 2014, I'd been involved in a lot of 
sort of social innovation, co-working, these are new mm. things that were around back then in Melbourne and, and in um, Europe as well. I was very interested yeah. in that. Spaces for entrepreneurs, because entrepreneurs are solo people, but mm. they need a community as well. So this whole co-working um, you know, phenomenon started back, what, 10 years ago now. So mm. I was really interested in that because I was, you know, if you don't work for a company, you're lonely, as you know, being yeah. a, a consultant or a freelancer. Mm. So there was one co-working space here in Perth, Space Cubed. Yeah. And I was... We've met Brody before. Yeah, Brody. Was, uh, that was one of the few people I knew here, actually, in that field, Brody. Yeah. So I started hanging out down there. Uh, and... Uh, but it wasn't really what I needed. I needed something more, um, you know, focused on the future. I guess yeah. focused on what I what I what I did and making things better. So we started this collective. Well, we started with Meta. So we met every month mm. and we did a call out like, "Who is interested in exploring new possibilities for WA?" That was our slogan: "New possibilities for WA." We didn't say like explicitly that it was like post mining or something like that i think brody works a lot with that space cube mm. new ways of you know new industries tech yes. innovation but we were we were like for it, yeah it? we were more like all over the you know yeah so we looked at the future of food systems in wa future of education future of how we make things uh so we, we had like learning making working and eating and drinking that were the four things mm. so we ran a lot of events around that for a couple of years so basically attracted people here in perth who were interested in the future and yeah better ways of doing things uh, not unsustainable like socially just uh, sustainable and that's sort of what we're still doing i think so yes yeah so our, our, we're having a big conference coming up um in October, which is about a new economy, for example. Mm. And we have a big space here in Freo we're opening up now, which is about, you know, prototyping the future, yeah. say, or a living lab for the new economy. A living so, lab? Yeah. <laughs> so what does that look like? A uh, living lab is, is originally a research concept uh, where you get together with industry, uh, academics, mm. um, to... Yeah, to do like uh, experiments in real life. Mm. So it can be a... We have a few of them here in in, in, in Freo, like the White Gum Valley new uh, project, which the housing project where they have, you know, academics looking at things. They have uh, different companies installing new technologies and testing it live mm. with real people. So it's a lab that's real, basically, a living right. lab, yeah. So that's what Enkel is about, I guess. Not on, on, on that sort of level, but more if you have an, an idea, come down there, try it. You will meet a lot of people who are interested people, in invaders. Yeah, People who want to get involved and test and play. And yeah, people who like are it. thinking. like So we attract a lot of these big systems thinkers mm. and who are who see, you know, we can't do this anymore. We have to come up with something new. And, yeah. Uh, and... Often when you speak to your friend or family, you don't, they don't, like you say, most people don't think like this. So people who come to us, they have sort of, yeah, they have a need for these conversations. Yes. Both bigger conversations, but also deeper conversations. 
Yes. Like we talked about before. What is it to be human? What is my purpose? That you can't do at work or with my, at, the, at the barbecue. You know, mm. It's a shallow <coughs> surface conversations. Mm. But how do we how do we meet people and discuss on a deeper level? How do we have these more challenging conversations about? You know, now we're in sort of in a climate uh, collapse, basically. And most people don't want to talk about it, but we do. <laughs> yeah. In Anchor, we do. It's not a, you know, if you want to, one of our members, he's set up a, a meetup now every month that people talk about, you know, how are we going to deal with living in a, you know, how are we going to, I think, how are we going to adapt to the, the, the climate collapse we're in? So, yeah, I like those conversations, but most people don't. So, mm. Yeah, so I think that's why we started Anchor. For you find more and more people are starting. To yeah, they it. are. You know, like if you look, I mean, here it's coming, of course. But you look in the UK, in London, the, the Extinction Rebellion, and how many people from different backgrounds came to that. It's not only like the green hippies or whatever, demonstrators, anarchists. Mm. Everyone came down, you know, because it's it's real. Yeah, and that's going to happen here as well. Now, when the kids are, you know, kids are protesting, it's not. Yeah, it's not political anymore. Uh, it's more people. So someone said, I don't remember. Like it's not left versus right mm. anymore. It's 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 people who care versus people who don't care. Yeah, it can't be <laughs> these days. It doesn't matter. Like the kids, they don't care about politics. No, they're not. You know, they can't even vote. They just want to survive. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. People ask me, oh, are you on the left or the right? And it's like, I don't know. No, same here. And I don't care. No, I don't care either. I think you'll find I, I go extreme one way, extreme the other, all yeah. at the same time. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I don't care what... I mean, it's not about that anymore, is it? It's like... Yeah. Yeah. Do you get much interaction with the government? How do you mean? In... Uh... Um politicians people who actually make shape policies um on a local level yes yeah yeah not on state but um yeah i think the the work we've done uh in i guess with free and i mean i i know most of the councillors here and you know i i don't know i know they sort of follow a bit what we do many of them yeah so maybe that's shaping with so my work or ankle ankle's work is changing how people think and that's what i do as a futurist as well it's yeah. not i mean i'm not going to start a big program which is going to help people mm. that's you know that's other social enterprises and government who do that mm. for us it's more about you know inviting them to an event challenging people's mind provoke them give them new options what's happening in melbourne what's happening in europe why can't we do that here? Which then hopefully will lead into um, strategy for you know nonprofits Spark, or yeah. policy, mm. policy making. So we're sparking ideas. It's all about you know new possibilities again for mm. WA. Um, not that we do it, so we're not sort of creating change. We're always saying we're creating change makers. Yes. So we're not <clears throat> we're not doing anything ourselves, but we're supporting, inspiring. Helping people to meet others. Mm. More on a, yeah. So. Are you. Because as I listen to you, you know, it's like even 
starting this work would be almost like pushing that big boulder and it's just moving a little bit yeah but we all know what happens to the boulder after a period of time yeah. it gathers momentum yeah um are you starting to see some of the green shoots of your efforts oh you know sometimes through the change makers yeah, that you're story. provoking yeah it's stories often like oh yeah after i went to that i did this mm. uh, or i met this person and we started this mm. that's when i see oh i've actually made a difference but mm. then you see like like the election and stuff now recently ah oh, you know we're still stuck in the 50s so we don't have that we don't have i mean it's still that boulder you know it's like mm. but you see small wins the whole time but i'm i've come to that realization i'm a bit you know mid what do you call it not middle-aged <laughs> uh but that it doesn't matter anymore like i don't care about if i will change anything or not yes because i it's like that guy who built Central Park or designed Central Park. He knew that he wasn't going to ever visit Central Park because yeah. it's going to take so long to build it. And he knew he was going to die before. So he does it for the future generations, right? Yeah. So that's how we have to... That's how I see now. I do it for my kids. Yeah. Yeah. The stuff I do. It's, I'm probably not going to see any result. If I do, it's small, small stories mm. that I hear. But I'm, you know, we're not going to have all the stuff I see in Amsterdam or San Francisco in many, like the cool things with bikes and clean energy, that's going to take a while. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, I have to do this as well. It's quite good. Like I know that I can't do anything else. I've found what I have to do. Mm. There is no going back. No, like many of us find, if we're lucky, find what we're meant to do in our life. Mm. And I've, um, pretty much found a path at least mm. you know sometimes I'm off that path like nah that wasn't right but I know I'm on the right path yeah. in general I'll look back as well like aha that's where I did that mm. that makes sense that mm. led me to meet that person or blah 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 things know. start to fly yeah but I'm not I don't like most people probably feel like ah this is not what I meant to do and they don't have time or resources or energy to actually find that out yes because they're stuck in the you know, whatever you want to call it, mortgage. Well, if you go race, back to it, yeah. stuck in that safe, yeah, comfortable, yeah, position. Yeah, but even like I've, yeah, I'm lucky to be able to do all these things. Uh, most people, but yeah, it's again you're like, why do you take on a big mortgage? If you, I mean, that's, you know, that's just what we do. Yeah. But the consequences of doing that yes. are really serious in yes. terms of your freedom. Yes. Because then you sort of, you know, you have to pull in money every month. And, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't yeah. think people realize what, what it means to take, take on a mortgage. And again, that comes back to, and I don't, look, I certainly don't want to come across as some sort of freaking... You know, like the finger wagging mum that says, "Just you say? But it's work, it's spending that small amount of time of thinking through just a few of the potential implications of your actions at this point in time. Mm. You know, the house looks great and it, we would live awesome in it. Mm. But it comes with a mortgage, mm. which will need to be serviced. Mm. And that service will take 
15 to 20 years, which means they're going to have to produce at that level to maintain that, mm. if indeed we're going to spend that amount of time here. So that means I'm going to have to find something that produces at that level. Now, can I marry that up with something that provides me meaning and this and all the stuff, or am I just going to go here and do the thing in the corporate environment which ticks the box and gets me there? Mm. But then that in and, in and of <coughs> itself has a trade-off. Is it going to light my fire or is it going to leave me dead inside? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think, I mean, we those, you know, universal basic income and that stuff is, you know, that's quite main, like getting more and more mainstream and, mm. you know, that could help a bit with that dilemma, I think. But yeah, it's not ideal, but I think we're heading that way, at least, because more and more people are looking for their purpose and what they're meant to do. Mm. That's not going to go away. <laughs> no. If anything, it's turning up more and more and more. Yeah. And also with the, the automation yeah. and those things, we like see, you know, people are, yeah, but people are so scared of it, but some, you know, we can also turn it around and say like, great, the robots are taking our jobs. Now we can do whatever we want. Yes. Uh, we don't think like that. Yes. We think like, oh shit, it's going to take my job. What am I going to do between nine and five every day? Help, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It depends, yeah. You know, it's 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 interesting stuff. Mm. Yeah. Tell me about Theory U. What role does that play? Uh Theory U. Yes, yeah, so it's one of the tools I use. It's not, yes. you know, I thought I'd ask because I've heard a lot. Yeah, so there's a big group here in uh, Perth. Now I think we we were we in Anchor we ran uh, one of the first U labs, which they were called back in 2015 or something. Mm. Um. So I, yeah, it's for me. It's one theory that I use. I use heaps. Yes, and it's 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 great for transformation. I think. Uh, so you can use it for. I mean, I can map my life th through it. I can map everything I do yeah. basically. Oh yeah, that's run me through the basic steps. Oh, I don't. I'm not. So basically, start with. Um, um, uh, if, if you're just going to summarize it, it's sort of going deeper. So often we work on a very shallow mm. level in, in any sort of challenge, problem, transformation. Yeah. So you have to sort of throw away much of your beliefs and uh, biases and things you have and go deeper yeah. on a problem, which is, and then you have to go even deeper. And that's when it starts to get uncomfortable yeah. for yourself. But it's basically that we talked about how you have to have those d deeper conversations with people, do the challenging things. It uh, takes time. Yeah, which takes time. And then you reach this sort of bottom of the U, this sweet spot where stuff happens. Yeah. Which is really challenging, which, you know, that's what we try to do in our workshops. And once you reach that, you know pretty much what you're going to do <laughs> or what's next. Yeah. So then the next phase, you go up, up. Again, the U, and that's yeah. Facebook. Rebuild the yeah, you start with uh, rapid prototyping. Because if you're in that, you know, when you have an epiphany, for mm. example, you know exactly what to do. So then you do it rapidly and you get out of the U again. So mm. it's sort of listen, reflect uh, until you sort of find something deep within deep, your, yeah, yeah. or in your team. It's like, oh, yeah, now we reached it. Challenging to get there. But theory use um, this practice to mm. reach that step, and then once you're there, you sort of ah, do it quickly, and then you know you go up again. 
it's it's sort of you know it's it's um, I work a lot with another change theory called four rooms of change, which mm. is quite similar. It's like you're in contentment, you're happy, everything's fine. Uh, next one is you basically go into denial. So everything was fine. Say you're married, then you know suddenly there's a problem. Someone pulls out the rug under your feet you go into denial at first you're like nah shit can't happen mm. it's gonna be fine again we're gonna get back together me and my wife things will sort itself yeah, out yeah things will sort itself out and then you come to you know realization nah this is over then you move into the third room so there's four rooms the first contentment denial the third room is conflict confusion then you're like shit what am I gonna do you know you're not in denial anymore so now we're getting there in the climate change, if you look mm. at that, like we're, yeah. we're heading from denial, many of us into conflict confusion, which is really uncomfortable. So there you yeah. go back to theory, you're at the bottom of the U. Yeah. And that's being okay with not being okay. Yeah. Which and is then again a theme I've heard a lot. Yeah, it's hard. So then um, you reach sort of the, the bottom of the U or the zero point where everything's shit. And then hopefully you get out of it and you find, yeah. ah, you find a hope down there. And then you go to the fourth room, which is renewal or inspiration. Mm. So that's a cyclical process as well. Then you go into contentment, denial, conflict, renewal. So uh, many people think they can find happiness and always be content, but I don't believe in that. I, I, you know, it's a cyclical thing. Mm. You're always going to... If you have that approach as well to life, I think it's easier. You know, mm. It's a it's a cycle up and down, and mm. so yeah. So theory, you and yeah. It's interesting listening to you, and and that and again another reason why I was really keen to chat to you. You know, I glanced across theory, you and went, "Geez, that that is part of the journey of quite a lot of my podcast guests. Sometimes mm. they've either done it consciously." Mm. they're learning consciously or they've got learnt by life mm. um, and then listening to those four rooms again it strikes me that there's almost like a process to life yeah and because we, we talk about the journey of life yeah but I've come to the conclusion that there's a process to life mm. and how you experience it is your journey mm. but underneath there is a process of going through those four rooms, going to the bottom. Oh, of, absolutely, yeah. You know, you can try and cling on as much as you want to that place of denial, that room of denial, and people mm. do, and they do, and they do, and they do, mm. and they do. And then their journey into the conflict is just so much more painful. Mm. And these things peak up in life, particularly I've spotted between the age of sort of 35 and 42 is one. Mm. And then apparently the next one's around about 56 oh shit I'm 40 I'm 44 <laughs> yeah. uh, so I've got a little way but I also gather <clears throat> that uh, if you've done a lot of work in the 35 to 42 time then 50, 56 is a whole lot more straightforward mm. Mm. and that's looking at chunks of time from looking at sort of um, you know Chinese mm. sort of philosophy and, and things like that mm. but um, yeah it's fascinating listening to you talk about people engaging with the future I've long thought that there's a process and that how we encounter the process is, mm. is our journey. Yeah, I, I totally agree. If you see it as... Um, but if you understand those things, it's much easier. Then you can yeah. make sense of why did I feel so shit between 35 yeah. and whatever you said. 35 and 42. Yeah, and then you can prepare for, oh, 56. Oh, maybe I should yeah. <laughs> think You can almost that. get to the point you can look forward to it. 
Yeah, because you know out the back of that conflict is oh, the man. renewal. Yeah, and exactly. we all know how cool the fucking renewal feels. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I I often see mice. I go up and down a lot on smaller, not only the life. Yeah, but you know, lots of different levels. Lots of different levels. So I see those periods when you feel like, oh shit, I don't want to do this, or oh, this feel pointless. As a face, um, you have to just see it as a face of reflection. Just accept it. Mm. Now I'm meant to be in the room of conflict confusion with myself mm. instead of seeing as a you know as a depression or a, a useless face where you feel yeah. you're not you're not worth anything or you're not producing anything of value see it as a okay this is face of reflection there will be a face of action yeah. when i get up the you again or get into the fourth room of renewal yes if you if you just you know if you just can frame it like that instead of uh, you know, up and down or sad and happy. Just see that yeah. action reflection. Listen to your body. And, you yeah. Know, I'm meant to not do anything now. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm meant to do stuff whenever. Yeah. And the longer you can sit in that, that's another psychological, you know, uh, the longer you can sit in the room of conflict, the probably the better, like you say, the more, the better the, the renewal. The renewal. Yeah. Or the the deeper you can go the you, the better the you, yeah. I mean outcome you, of your you know. You see it in um, I saw it in people around me when I left my long time long time relationship mm. about five six years ago, and you know, I spent a lot of time just soaking it up, mm. wallowing in the shame and guilt of the time. Mm. But out of the back renewals amazing yeah at the same time I saw similar people going through a similar thing monkey bar their way you know how how kids go across monkey bars yeah like quickly grab one bar after another after another straight into another relationship yeah like I'm not really sure you've fully embraced this no and and it'll come back to I've done the same thing like you know go straight in to do something fun to forget about it but then it's gonna it's you know it's haunting you yeah, yeah, yeah. Better just like go through it. And I think yeah. many people live, you know, they go through their life not going deep down. And they're like, yeah, so, you know, it's, I guess it's okay. <laughs> but at some point. But I'm not, that's not yeah. the, my life. I don't, you know. I have a feeling that if you don't go and do some deep diving, then life will start learning you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the passive use of the word learn yeah exactly so here we go what would western australia look like if 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 more of us started to engage with the future Mm. actively responsibly as an adult well i think that would be much more interesting like you know what worries me a lot is the concentration of ideas and creativity and resources in the old industry like the old paradigm uh what you mean the big tall buildings on the terrace yeah that's sort of you know which resource which yeah so we have an amazing because of that because of that paradigm or that those industries we have an amazing opportunity now to do something properly with it like distribute it and do Mm invest all this in other things like cool things um that are sustainable 
and socially just. It's just like, you know, if people would get that, that, that would be sort of my hope for West Australia, if we sort of distribute mm. what we have to people. And I'm not talking about like socially, like distributing money, you know, equality. That's one thing. But also the most of the creative people, they work for the old paradigm. You know mm. what I mean? They come up with some ingenious solution to solve a little problem in a mining machine or whatever yes. it might to pull up more, re, you know, or like f- doing yeah. something like that when they could have done something that changed, you know, lives for people and make it better in other ways. So, so paradigm shift. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or like pulling more people from that old paradigm to the new, to the whatever new. it is, yeah, to the future, to, yeah, that's, that's what, that's our work pulling people over because we're not going to be able to change the system start building the new paradigm getting as many people over yeah clean energy you know like all, all the new the new things mm. um more interesting work and creative yeah i'm getting a sense of morpheus in the film like <laughs> <laughs> maybe yeah so what have you learned about yourself through this journey through to, to from waking up uh, encountering this whole future future study and then going and doing your work and and setting up the ankle and and the work that you do with councils and stuff you know through this whole journey what have you learned about yourself oh i think it's no i was quite individualistic before um, i work as an <clears throat> entrepreneur entrepreneurs are quite my way or the highway but now mm. with Enkel especially I've been turning into more like a community builder mm. working with others that's what that's my main learning like how do you actually get yeah how do you how do you, you know the from myself to to a group you know how do you you know how do you do things together with others that I've struggled with that before I didn't have to actually because if you run your own business you don't you know we were two people doing most of the things me and my colleague and mm. Now we're, um, we work with a lot of people, a lot of projects, and we're mm. very different in Ankle. Our yeah. only commonality is that we're interested in, in the future, new possibilities. Yeah. But we have like, you know, people from many different countries, uh, engineers, artists, you know, consultants, you know, everything, lawyers. And um, it's tough, but, you know, that's what we have to do. I think that's a key also for human survival to like be able to work across political you know Mm. opinions and countries and most people don't don't, we don't learn how to do that in school yeah so I think that's one of the things I've learned uh, most and it's fucking frustrating often you know (laughs) yeah that idiot like I was gonna ask you just do what I you know and there's some days when you just bang your head against the wall and go yeah fucking get it collaboration (laughs) is bloody hard yeah collaboration is so hard yeah I think if we can't collaborate we're fucked you know yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so fragmented and so polarized today everything and people are pissed off on their Facebook and you know they yeah hate each other yeah there's like no we need more collaboration platforms mm. online not just you know <laughs> a lot of venting yeah. less of not a lot of doing yeah imagine if there would be a button like instead of like or hate you're just like how can we 
collaborate. Like yeah. I'm interested in what you say. How can we come yeah. to it? How can we collaborate and come to a? Yeah. You know, let's press so that button instead. How can yeah. we fix it? Yeah. Oh, let, oh, let's 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 just play with some options. Let's yeah. open up to a world of possibilities. Yeah. Let's pre press that button instead. Or you know. Yeah, that would be so cool. That would. Be I'm cool. ready to get into it. Go deeper in the U with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You seem let's like a smart person. U. Let's not shout at each other. Let's go. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're obviously demonstrating a lot of passion on this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And instead of just let that thread die out, as it does yeah. in Facebook, eventually it's like, oh, now I'm attacking someone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm off to sniper let's, let's someone. Let's use that tension yeah, and creatively. create something. Yeah. I think that's... If they can do that, that's a good development of social media. Mm. Yeah. That'd be mega. Yeah. So, futurist, what does, the, what does the next three to five years look like for you? <laughs> um, staying here, doing you know, the same as I've done. Looking mm. forward to this new big project that I mentioned before, the big uh, warehouse yeah. we here in Freya, turning that into something. Whereabouts in Fremantle is it? It's the... Um, just across the traffic bridge, when you come from north to south, uh, north into Frio, mm -hmm. there's this big building with an octopus painted oh, on it. Yeah, is it that one? Yeah, so that's the one. Awesome. Yeah. So we can't miss it. Now we're doing cool things. Started with this zombie apocalypse with um, David Holmgren, the, the founder of Permaculture. Right. In a couple of months. What would happen if we had a zombie apocalypse? Yeah, and he's going to facilitate that. I mean, uh, he's great. He's awesome. Um, permaculture is one of the things we, I think, I hope, will be big in the future, mm. mainstream, um, and other other cool things I'm going to do there. Mm. So, yep, that's the next three to five years. I'm going to be there a lot. Um, also started some, yeah, new things into the crypto currency like all you know everything that's the f part of might be part of the future i'm looking into all possible futures i'm yeah, excited about <laughs> how do you stay present and grounded with what you do so it I, could be all future 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 yeah no i um i'm a family obviously and friends i, I have a lot of friends that are not in that field and i think that's really important because i many people i come across in my work they seem to be in that bubble often mm. so it's really important that you get out uh i mean family and friends across diverse people i think that they, they ground me and also like take me out of that bubble you like shit, realize like shit we, you know this is what people think yeah this is how people see the future um and you know kids best th way to ground oh yeah and also like on a more on a physical level go go out in nature and especially you know live n near the beach so go be be in the ocean mm. that that grounds me so much yeah. all year round yeah <laughs> that's what we talking about round. before yeah we yeah try to do it all year round yeah. indeed yeah. yeah indeed so one of the last questions that i um ask all my guests is if you could take a little nugget of information and upload it into the collective consciousness so everybody just got it mm. what would it be i think it's this thing we actually talked about um realizing that life is cyclical you know it's like you know it's not you're not going to reach a state of 
happiness. So sometimes you will, mm. if you're lucky, reach a state of bliss. But it's gonna, you know, it's gonna come back in the sort of room of denial and conflict and confusion again. And then you come, you know, it's yeah, it's you know, we always talk about that life's up and down. It's a journey. It's a roller coaster, or whatever. But I think it's you know, it's we really have to understand that because a lot of problems we see it's like you know people strive for that perfection and then they're gonna be there it's a state mm. if we just see life as you know it's a roller coaster i think yeah that, you know if, if we would learn that in school <laughs> you know? yeah 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 and not not see the ladder career ladder or whatever you know it's like you know the, that's a yeah. linear you know linear thing a ladder up or yeah reach. hierarchy yeah or... it's it's a mm. spiral you know mm. yeah yeah, it's an upward spiral. Mm. Yeah, Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you this morning. Yeah, thanks, Bryn. It's been great. If somebody wants to come and find you, how do they find you? Other than hop into the warehouse on the other side. Of yeah, the uh, go to my. I have a website, adamjorland.com, or enkel.co, um, e-n-k-e-l.co. That's. Uh, collective we're open to everyone mm. who are interested in the future creating a better wa yeah uh, yep that's it thank you very much thanks brian thanks for your time pleasure